of the Select Star Podcast, your resource for innovative technology, developer topics, and more. Here's your host, Margo McCabe from the HarperDB team. We are live, so welcome everyone to Select Star, your resource for innovative technology and developer topics. Um, Thanks for tuning in. So today we have another special guest that I'm super excited about. We have Ron Lewis, who is the Director of Innovation and Engineering at Lumen Technologies. Um, So the team at HarperDB has actually been in contact with Ron, I think it's been at least a few years now. Um, it's been it's been quite a while that we that we've been building a relationship with you, Ron, and your team. And so, really excited to have you on today. And thanks for joining. Awesome. Hey, thanks for inviting me. This is this is uh, I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, no problem. It's it's kind of a fun. It seems like everyone's doing podcasts these days. It's just a fun way to you know, yet another medium to get information out and just have conversations with super smart people. So (laughs) it'll be fun. But before we get started, Ron, why don't you give us um, just kind of an overview on on who you are, your background, you know, what led you to what you're doing today, what you're working on? Sure. Okay. So today I, I work in innovation and I work on the disruptive innovation side. So like imagine we built a time machine and it was 2030 or 2040 and your mobile device rings and you look down at it, um, envisioning what that would look like that you just, you know, look down at and, and how you would answer it and how it would communicate. And all of those things are kind of the realm of, of, of what I'm involved with today. It's a really interesting, exciting job. One of my peers says we're in the, in the business of making flying carpets. And I think that's pretty a, a creative way of describing what we do. Um, being a military veteran, though, working in the Air Force, uh, flying any, anything that flies needs some kind of runway to become airborne. And so uh, I, I, I'm always looking for the technologies that, that kind of hook things together that provide that runway uh, to get this disruptive innovation off the ground. And, and HarperDB, I think, is is one. That's one of the things that drew me to HarperDB, right? Because HarperDB provides this amazing runway for launching fourth industrial revolution technology. Um, so I've, I've heard you. So you said um, a little bit about me and what I'm doing. What what drew me to HarperDB? What was the other question? And I apologize. Oh no, I think I think you covered pretty much most of it. Just yeah, wanted to hear a little bit about your background and, and where you're at today. So I think, I think that covers a lot of it. Um, I know, I know we've been having conversations on and off over, over a couple of years. And, um, and as you said, it, it seems like HarperDB kind of fits in with, with the areas you're focused on when it comes to innovation, disruptive technologies, but I'm kind of curious to hear a little bit more on that of just kind of like how our relationship has developed like what you thought of HarperDB when you first discovered it, oh, yeah. gotten to know it more. What's what's drawn you to it? Because it's it's when we have a product and a company like HarperDB, everyone has kind of a different take on it. So it's always interesting to so, hear. Yeah, it's, so it's amazing. So when we when I first discovered HarperDB, Jason had reached out to me because I had been uh, surfing your website, and one of the things that stood out to me was the attention to detail uh, in your branding. Uh, if you could actually, if I had my camera on, you'd see me wearing one of my favorite shirts is my Harper DB t-shirt that Stephen had given me. 
um, and, and that my daughter is constantly trying to take from me. She's like, yeah, I love that shirt. I love it. Um, and, but, but that was just kind of like the, the, the tip of the iceberg as we started looking at HarperDB. We were looking for something that was easy to use, easy to deploy, flexible and scalable. And we were working on a, a project for the DOD that required me to be able to move data and contextualize data and converge data. And I needed something that was, again, super easy to use and, and super fast and intuitive. And I remember talking to Jason and saying, hey, um, can I deploy this on a Raspberry Pi? And he said, yeah, I think so. I think we're doing that today. And I said, hey, can I deploy it on a Tinkerboard? And he said, uh, what's a Tinkerboard? And I said, it's like a Raspberry Pi, but it's got twice as much memory. And he said, well, you know, I think so. And it was funny because when I talked to the team, Stephen called me and he said, hey, why are you interested in the Tinkerboard? And I said, because it's rock solid. It's made by Asus. It's super fast. The only drawback is it's 32-bit. But, I mean, it's bulletproof, and it, it, it has a lot greater survivability. And then uh, Stephen said, hey, I'll, let me try that. And so the HarperDB team came back and said, yeah, it works great on the Tinkerboard. We love it. And so we started deploying on Tinkerboards. But I needed the ability to, to do large-scale analytics as well and move the data between the nodes and, uh, and, and do it again simply. Right. And so I, I, we could do all of that. We could define the data movement and all of these really cool, crazy things um, as we were looking at these, you know, military adaptation. Uh, we, we could take data that is running integrated into a, a controller environment, like an OT environment, and we could expose that data without having to have a, what we, a human machine interface an HMI. We could leverage or, or produce security reference architecture so we could do like OT, OT data securely and move that OT data into the cloud. And then I could move it into this highly scalable enterprise analytics domain that's you know powered by HarperDB in the cloud on, on compute nodes. It was just absolutely amazing to me, the flexibility that, you know. And so, you know, we started looking at all of the other databases that I mean, there's, what, 50,000 different data engines that, that, that can play with. And so when I say we used them all, we didn't use all 50,000, but we took all of the major um, data engines that are, are scalable. Um, and we looked at Couchbase and, and, and a whole bunch of others. Uh, and the names, names escaped me at the moment. Um, but we ended up, you know, focusing on HarperDB because of the flexibility. And then Stephen came up with the idea of functions. Because a lot of what we did required us to put an API proxy in front of the data engine. And he said, hey, how about I make your life simpler? Uh, simpler is great. Because, I mean, that was one of our, our design goals is let's make this simple to adopt, simple to use, low risk, flexible, fast. And it was just amazing how HarperDB checked all of those boxes. Just amazing. And then not to mention that the team is so fun to work with. Kind of icing on the cake. Yeah. Well, we're... We're certainly glad to hear that. And um, it's it's so cool to hear the excitement that that people like yourself have around around the product. You know, for people listening, we're not making Ron say any of this. So it's it's awesome to hear people that are such big fans and um kind of have been with us along this journey. And as you mentioned, it's been it's been an interactive process where you know we're super appreciative of the feedback and input that. Um, people like you and your team have provided us where, as you said, in the Tinkerboard example, you suggest something, we can go try it out, see how it's relevant for the market. So it's been um, 
a really great kind of back and forth type of relationship. I think that's something we've learned at Harper DB is that a lot of our, um, you know, a lot of our best traction and um, finding different partnerships and things has been through building these connections with people that truly understand the product and, and what we're doing and people that can give us that feedback. So um, it's been definitely a beneficial relationship both ways. And it's always awesome to hear, you know, those, those positive thoughts and people that are getting excited about it. So definitely appreciate it. And I know, Ron, you mentioned that you work a lot with disruptive technologies and that, um, you know, you spend a lot of time researching what really, what really are disruptive technologies now versus five years ago versus, you know, five years into the future. So is that, does that kind of fit into this? Do you see Harper DB as disruptive? So I I do. And the the reason that I think of Harper DB as disruptive is because, uh, you know, you, you, oftentimes call Harper DB a, a database, but it's it's not really a database. It's a and and some folks will call, you know, use the term data mesh or data fabric. But but I see Harper DB as as more of a of a data surface. And the whole idea, especially with now with functions, the, the whole idea is to be able to converge and contextualize data to support decision making. So I'm a huge Isaac Asimov fan, right? I, I, I love science fiction. Maybe that fits nicely in with what I do because a lot of what we see in the disruptive space is, is the stuff that science fiction movies are made of. And I always like to use the example of the Terminator. Can you imagine if we had a T-9000 based on today's technology? And you know, the even if it was a 5G LTE connection, let's say that we're, we're doing best and greatest of existing technology, and the T-9000 is, is in a remote area looking for Sarah Connor. And the connection is like, he can't get 5G LTE. He's, he's down to 1G or something. It's like, ah, I can't, I can't support the autonomous decision-making. There's just <laughs> too much data and I can't get it across this tiny thin pipe. Why did I have to pick and insert a, you know, insert a, a uh, cell phone provider? I, I usually name a couple, but for the sake of the podcast, I'm not. Um, <laughs> But, you know, or, you know, looking at some of the limitations that we have today and we're moving further and further, but then imagine, you know, how much data has to move. And then as we start looking at, you know, if you look at how, how much data, you know, these self-driving cars like a Tesla or Alphabet create, you know, on an hourly basis from, from all of the OT data that's collected inside, you know, the, the onboard systems within the car, how do we manage and move all of that data and take advantage of the data and then how does that affect you know the ancillary related business domains like stoplights and um you know and, and, and things like like that and pedestrian traffic and all of the interactions that happen outside the ot environment how how do we uh find a way to get the data to where it needs to be and so i, I start looking at you know as we we talk about fourth industrial revolution. I, I'm not a market person. I'm an engineer. Um, and it's maybe not the best idea to put me into a marketing role uh, because I, I look at things as buzzwordish and I go, what does the fourth industrial revolution really mean? And, and what are we supporting from a use case perspective? And I often go back to, it's all about the convergence and enrichment of data and then contextualizing that data so that we can apply it to Autonomous business, uh, autonomous decision making across different business domains, uh, and so how do we do that? And how do we do that fast? And how do we do that in myriad different ways? And what are the interdependencies? And if we try to do it, you know, using traditional techno database technologies, 
uh, imagine trying to find a, a database engine that was small and flexible enough to run on a, a Pi Zero or, or some sort of microcontroller running on an onboard system and then being able to extend that to edge bare metal or some kind of edge compute environment where you can do you know, higher fidelity analysis using some sort of DNN and then how do you move that to the cloud and what are the, and, and how, what, how do you do that quickly, right? I mean, so you start thinking about how databases communicate with each other and, and the different types of models and API calls or ODBC connectors or JDBC connectors. Um, and I love the way that HarperDB does it through uh, the native integration of, of all of these components and whether it's, uh, you know, running on a Tinkerboard or an Asus Rock Pro or an RPI or, you know, some small microcontroller integrated with some OT set of systems, or if it's a, um, a VM running in an edge compute environment orchestrated out of, out of a cloud using some hybrid cloud orchestrator, or if I'm a compute node sitting in a VM somewhere in the cloud collecting data for, for a greater level of, of fidelity using a TPU um, or, or something along those lines to support the inference or the redefining of a model that's going to propagate using uh, HarperDB functions. I mean, just to me, that's disruptive because I'm, I'm able to move the different types of data and the different types of assets like functionality, you know, from place to place uh, seamlessly without having to worry about the, the interoperability of different data engines, nor do I have to worry about the size and scale because that's the other thing that's disruptive to me. Databases are not typically designed because they're uh, persistent versus non-persistent. Databases tend to be uh, uh, scaled vertically instead of horizontally. And HarperDB scales beautifully. I mean, a containerized version of HarperDB tied to, uh, excuse me, persistent storage allows me to scale um, HarperDB to meet my performance goals. It's not like HarperDB, HarperDB doesn't perform like amazingly. Uh, even even in a small context, the, the uh, workload that it can perform is amazing to me. But the ability to actually scale it to uh, horizontally is just amazing as well, because that's that's not typical. That's atypical for database engines. Right. Yeah. That's. I think that that's a really interesting way to look at it and a great overview. Um, and I I like that you kind of took a step back and said, you know, what even what even does the fourth industrial revolution mean? Because as you said, around a lot of these buzzwords, I think some people just, um, some people are, and I'm sure myself included, can be guilty of throwing around different buzzwords without really truly understanding what they mean or, or how they were adopted and um, coining different technologies with different labels um, without really analyzing that at the core. And so I think you've done a good job of really unwrapping that and looking at what really makes a disruptive technology, you know, how can technologies fit that? Um, I'm curious, you know, from your perspective, are there other examples of disruptive technologies that are really relevant right now? And, you know, are there, um, are disruptive technologies sometimes negative? You know, are there pros and cons to being disruptive? Is it usually looked at as more of a, a positive movement just kind of curious your thoughts on that oh man so being a disruptive guy can be disheartening sometimes <laughs> because a lot of what we talk about is like nah that can't really work right talk about photo optics or i'll talk about uh neuromorphic processors uh i'll talk about quantum computing for example 
and or, or quantum resiliency. And I was like, oh, all of that stuff is science fiction. And I, I love taking folks on tours on my lab. Um, usually at any given point in time, I'll have a, a small team of interns that are busily working in my lab. And if you walk into the lab with me, uh, generally, they don't even bother to look up. They're just like busy working away. <laughs> and, you know, and I'll go, hey, can, can you explain what you're working on? Yes, I'm working on a photo optic CPU that uses light and, and, and colored light um, to do non-deterministic compute to support a non-deterministic compute plane. You know, and, and uh, the, the, usually the folks that are visiting will go, what? Yeah. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> yeah. How does that work? <laughs> and so we show some really cool stuff or like I'll, I'll break out one of the, you know, so one of the goals of, of what I do is is enhancing uh, quality of life, right? It's all about making people's lives better. That, that's, that, that should kind of be the focus of technology. And so talking about like, uh, um, health and and so like especially like with covid 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 hit indian reservations pretty hard and so some of what we're doing is you know from a communications perspective trying to trying to use like fixed wireless and and we have long range uh, unlicensed spectrum wi-fi radios that allow us to push signals you know 50 plus miles and get fiber like speeds and then when you talk about you know connecting you know, reservations to the internet so that we can do telehealth uh, and, and those sorts of things. That, that That's the sort of stuff that is relatively, it's, it's near-term disruptor, right? Because we're not doing it, uh, you know, as an industry per se, uh, but, but applying that to uh, quality of life and, and healthcare and those sorts of things. Uh, other, other things that are disruptive, uh, different ways of leveraging existing IOT-ish and connected devices around elder care and, and home health as the U.S. population ages. And then, you know, uh, increasing quality of life. Those are the kind of things that are, are quasi-disruptive, but extremely important uh, from, you know, from, from my perspective. Right. right. And the robot dogs are amazing. I mean, we, we, we work with Boston Dynamics okay. and, and we use uh, these they're called quadrupeds, but they look like dogs. So we call them spot. They'd fit in right in with Harper uh, because I think everyone at Harper just about has a dog and they get to bring them to work. <laughs> True, yeah. So, so we'll bring the quadruped, you know, we call him spot and he's, he's pretty well behaved. Um, but I mean, it's a robot that we use for search and rescue with DHS. So oh, wow. it kind of, kind of neat. And then everybody freaks out when we get the robot dog and walk him through a building uh, <laughs> because it's so well behaved. Right. <laughs> Don't have to do too much training there. I I can feel that we have a, a rescue puppy at home right now that's about nine or ten months now. And so <laughs> sometimes I wish it was a robot dog, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's that's um it's it's cool to be in that it must be really great to be in that space that that you're in where as you said, it's technology for good and you know, making necessary changes and, and helping people. Um, not just like innovating and creating for the sake of it, but with these, these really, um, great long-term goals. I think that's probably one of the best places to be in and probably super motivating to get up each day and be like, what are we going to work on today that can help improve the lives of other people? (laughs) You know, I, I like to, so I watch Phineas and Ferb a lot with, with kids and grandkids when my kids were growing up. It's one of my favorite TV shows and it says, so what do you, what, what should we do today? Ferb, you know, as, it, as they're 
brainstorming what they're going to build some kind of neat gadget or cool gadget. And my life is a, is a lot like a Phineas and Ferb show minus the music. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like, Hey, what are we going to do today? What are we going to go build? And uh, so I, I do have a really amazing and fun job. Yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. Are you still, are you still going into lab most days? Are you working from home right now still, or kind of doing? So, so I've, I've moved most of my lab into my house. Okay. And so I'm surrounded by ESP32 microcontrollers, breadboards, sensors, Arduinos, um, Raspberry Pi, uh, Rock Pro 64, uh, and, and a couple Asus Tinker boards. Wow. <laughs> that sounds like a fun environment. <laughs> it sounds like a messy environment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess you got to have space for all of that, too. <laughs> it's a... Uh, Jumper wires, protractors, and pocket protectors everywhere. <laughs> that's awesome. That sounds really interesting. Um, that's that's really cool. Well, yeah, I I, I love the the take on kind of what you're explaining with with what's your world and and why you focus on technologies like this. Are there um, is there anything else you know related to fourth industrial revolution um, and kind of your focus right now? Like any any, uh, I don't know, any other technologies you're focused on, any thoughts you have about it, any predictions for, you know, where this is going to move in the next year, five years, 10 years? I know with how rapidly technology has been advancing and, and created over over the past 10 or 20 years, it's hard to even predict, you know, what so that will be in another I, I, Okay, so this is, this is a scary question, right? Because <laughs> I, I remember Bill Gates saying 64K, who could possibly need more than that? Right, as as he designed ten stacks of sixty four K into the Microsoft DOS. Um, Those of us that have been in computers like a really, really long time, I'm dating myself. Go, oh man, I don't want to make a comment like that. Or Apple, when Apple said two K more than you could ever possibly use. Or um, the the guy from Digital Corp, Ted, when he said, "Why would anyone want to have a personal computer in the house?" personal computer market is never going to take off as, as, and it's funny as we're recording this podcast over personal computers. Right. Um, but yeah, so I, I think it's safe to say there's a couple trends that I see happening. Right. And so um, the, the move from cloud to edge, I think is, is almost certain uh, for, for myriad reasons. I, I think that highly distributed. So the nature of applications themselves are going to change. Um and take on a more distributed uh, nature and, and not distributed like when we talk about blockchain and DLT. I mean, yes, those are distributed apps, but but more along the lines of um, distributed functionality using a FAS and BAS architecture um, and then BAS on the back end and FAS on the client and then back end to back end communication happening as edge workloads that are all centrally managed and deployed from some type of cloud orchestrator. Um, I think the security market's going to change fundamentally, where we'll be doing uh, looking at behavioral analytics of workloads uh, rather than some of the technologies that we're using today. And I don't want to get too too far into that, um, but I think that those are some of the characteristics. I think that uh, a lot of the I'll, I'll, again, as we look at the, the nature of applications changing, um, data will be more contextualized from a database engine or persistence layer perspective rather than an application or business layer. 
and I, and I see Harper DB kind of leading the forge on that. Those are kind of the, the big changes that I see in the next five years. And then 10 years out, we should probably talk about flying cars and the implications of autonomous behavior and, and, and maybe uh, data uh, and the characteristics of bandwidth changing as well. So I, I think low earth orbit, you know, I, I hear a lot about 5G LTE, but if, if I was going to put money, I would probably look forward towards uh, low earth orbit satellites. Um, and of course, I have to put in a gratuitous plug for um, Deutsche Coin. So, <laughs> yeah, well, I think if, if there's anyone to trust on, on where to put the money with the predictions, you're probably in a pretty good space to, to kind of be able to analyze and, and know what's to come. So I think it's, um, it's really interesting to hear that. And, you know, even bringing up flying cars, I, it's, it's not that long ago that people were saying, oh, we'll have flying cars in 2010 or by 2020. And um, I know a lot of times with these types of things, the technology is already there, but it's just the infrastructure um, or regulations or, or other things that might be holding it back. Um, do you think that's the case a lot? Is that when it comes to innovation with technology, a lot of times the invention or the technology is already there, but it's more about how to harness it? Yeah, absolutely. And I, so that's where I go back to that runway. Can you imagine YouTube uh, trying to be facilitated over an AOL connection? You know, you've got mail over 56K <laughs> and you're trying to listen to music or watch a video or listen to a podcast on Spotify over 56K. Um, the, the technology wasn't, you know, the support technology wasn't there for, for, for uh, that type of media yet. And so that wouldn't have been successful. And so we see a lot of technologies and that's the roadmap. That's the, the runway, if you will. There has to be the support ecosystem. And, and I find it really interesting because I see, you know, from a data ecosystem, not, not to harp on HarperDB, um, but from a data e data driven ecosystem, that's hard to say. <laughs> uh, but from a data-driven ecosystem, HarperDB is kind of paving the path forward, moving from mesh to fabric to actual data surface, and then providing that contextualization of data right out of the database engine, which is going to be key to a, to a fundamental shift in application behavior. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. And I know, you know, it's it's interesting because even um, the, I think, two and a half years now that I've been... With Harvard EB, I've seen, you know, lots of conversations that that our team has been having and, and other similar technologies with large enterprise type companies down to, you know, other small tech startups where we have these really interesting conversations around something like IoT or edge um, hybrid cloud computing. And the companies are super excited and, you know, we have a great conversation. And then at the end they say, but I think it's a little too early, you know, we're not quite ready to innovate to that level yet. Um, like it's not that easy to just make all these changes and just, you know, incorporate all these new ideas. And so I think that's something that's really interesting about innovation is making those changes can probably take a lot longer and especially depending on how big the company is and the infrastructure, but um, just implementation and making those changes and adjustments can probably be the the most challenging part. Whereas, you know, building the technology, discussing it, talking about the solution is is the fun part. Yeah, very, very true. <laughs> awesome. Well, yeah, this is this has all been really interesting and definitely giving me a, a lot to think about. So 
thank you for for sharing all these thoughts. I know every time we have a conversation with you, Ron, it's um, it's interesting and insightful. So I'm super excited to to get this recorded <laughs> for once. Um, but is there is there anything else you know that's that's top of mind that you'd like to share? Anything else that's interesting that you're focusing on right now? Um, just kind of before we wrap up with our, our last few minutes, any any last words? Yeah, so I, I think, you know, words of wisdom, right? So you always want to end a podcast with something really wise. Um, and, and it's interesting because to me, the future is all about data and having data where you need it and, and having data where it's, you know, be, being able to orchestrate data where it's both being created and consumed and, and the focus needs to be on data and data contextualization. And, and most of what I'm working on is either orchestration of, of, of assets consuming data or orchestrating data itself. And so my advice is, is we're looking forward towards the future is make, make sure you're looking at your data and, and how you're handling your data assets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it seems it seems that's a really great reminder. And I'm sure for some people it seems um, maybe simple or, or something that they would already assume, but it's probably also scary how many companies and teams don't focus enough around that. And um, I know I remember hearing five, 10 years ago, the future is data and it's really happening now. And there's no, there's no avoiding it. Um, You have to deal with it and figure it out in some way or another. And so um you know, there's, there's lots of different ways to manage that data and different technologies to work with. It's just kind of about finding what, what works best for you and your team and your long-term goals. But um, yeah, that's a really great point. I know that's been a hot topic for quite a while now. (laughs) Awesome. Margaret, thank you. This has been a blast. I've really enjoyed uh, talking with you today and talking about technology in the future and yeah, of course. Thank you for for taking the time to chat with us. I'm excited to to get this out there, and um, you know, for people listening, if you have any follow up questions or or topics that that Ron discussed today that you'd like to hear more about, you can always let us know. You can email us, comment um, on our podcasts, anything like that. You know, we could always do a follow up episode in a couple months or something if um, if there's anything you'd like to hear more expanded on. Because I know today was kind of a high level overview, and Ron definitely has a lot of information to share so we can expand um, if people are interested. So thank you, Ron, for, for taking the time today to share your insights. And thank you for everyone that's listening. Um, as always, we'll have select star available on all the different podcast channels. So hopefully you're able to access it. And um, well, I guess we'll just see you next time. Thanks, Ron. Thanks for listening to select star your resource for innovative technology and developer topics. You can find our episodes in all the usual places, Spotify, Apple, Google, RSS, and YouTube. Don't forget to rate, comment, subscribe, and share. You can learn more about HarperDB at harperdb.io.